Thank you for joining us today. uh, We're glad that we have this technology that allows us to be in your homes, talking to you about Nehemiah. Hopefully you've been keeping up with us as we've studied through this book, a great narrative of, of how God used a man to have an impact, not only in his nation, but for the nations around him. And I would like to uh, start our time with prayer and then look a little bit more at what is happening in the life of Nehemiah. Father, we thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. Oh, Lord, you know my heart. My heart would want to speak to all my friends face to face. My heart would want to enjoy seeing their interaction and to, uh, uh, to have heard their voices lifted up in song and to feel the energy as I uh, stood before them uh, sharing your grace and your mercy. Father, it's not about what I want. It's about your glory. And that is our prayer right now, that uh, as we all work through this together, that our focus is on glorifying you, and that uh, our desire is that you will be lifted up. We have a a role of making disciples. We have a responsibility to love you and to love others. Father, I ask that as we look at the life of Nehemiah, And we consider the things that were probably quite frustrating to him. Uh, Things that he thought he had turned a corner on something only to feel like it's two steps forward, a step back. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we continue to pursue our responsibilities of reaching people for Jesus Christ, and we pursue our responsibility to help them become like Jesus Christ, And as this dear church continues to seek out their lead pastor to come alongside them and and bring them to the place they need to be so that they can adequately reach people for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would keep our hearts from discouragement, that, Father, you would keep us in unity. Help us, Lord, to work towards the goal that you've called us and that we may not get distracted by the things that are going on around outside of us and for those things that might be going around amidst us as we navigate these challenges, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been keeping up with Nehemiah, you know that he has gone through a lot of challenges already. In chapter 1, he hears the bad news about uh, his, uh, his home people, uh, Jerusalem, and how the walls are broken down and how they're having all these difficulties. He works with the king, gets permission to leave, gets all the resources that he needs, uh, heads to Jerusalem, assesses the situations, rallies all the leaders and the people together, and is working diligently on the wall as they each take on their portion and work together in unity. Then comes obstacles and uh, opposition from all different directions, and he is faced with not only building a wall, but protecting the people. And he's working through all these various things, and then in chapter 5, we find out that the pressures from outside are going to be matched by the pressures inside. It's interesting, we can get so focused on making sure that we take care of all the externals when the real issue might be on the inside. 
It's one thing to make sure you got a wall to protect you from the enemy without. What do you do to help protect yourself from the enemy that becomes within when we have internal conflict? Please follow along with me, if you would, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, it says this, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as a flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Several years ago, God laid on me a mantle to be willing to go into churches that are going through times of difficulty. God has used us in a variety of facets, sitting down with those who might be in church leadership to help them work through some internal conflict that they might have. This has given us opportunities for great reward to see people come a long way in the time of their conflict. But yet it also is a time of heartbreak when things do not resolve and God is not glorified. This section of Nehemiah chapter 5 really hits my heart for as I consider not the process of building a wall, but the process of making disciples, the number of churches across our nation that are distracted because of internal fighting. And so my desire, as I look at this passage, is not to, to think of Nehemiah, and not even necessarily to think of just Calvary here at Mount Pleasant, but to think of the numerous churches 
all around that are struggling to love God and to love others because of the internal conflict that they might be experiencing. The other sad element of that is to realize it's not only times here in churches that receive conflict, but in homes and even workplaces and neighborhoods. What a challenge it is when we don't feel equipped to deal with these types of things. That's why I appreciate how God gives us this story about Nehemiah and how he dealt and how he addressed this type of situation. Let's take some time to unfold this today as we consider not only the conflicts that he had out with outside, but the internal conflict here in Nehemiah chapter 5. First of all, it comes in the form of the outcry of the people. Notice what it says. There arose an outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. This is what we would call basically conflict, conflict that we are aware of. Often there's conflict that goes on that we are not aware of. We just kind of sense it because people's uh, uh, interaction with us might be uh, uh, different and we wonder what is wrong. But this is a situation where there's an outcry. Uh, conflict has taken place. Let's look at a definition of, an, of a conflict. It's not really that hard to be in conflict because it is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. You see, we run into conflict on a regular basis. The point is, how do we respond to the conflict and how do we help it work into uh, a progress instead of working into something that distracts us? There's different sources of conflict. Uh, for example, there's those un unintentional neglect. Acts chapter 6 is an example of that from the scripture where the uh, widows were not cared for and they cried out. And as a result, they... Uh, in action, more administration. A misunderstanding is discovered in Acts chapter 15 where there were those who had a theological perspective on what the Gentiles needed to do in order for them to be genuine believers. They were trying to run them all the way through the Jewish process and they had to clarify that because of the misunderstanding and good communication was not only from the purpose, perspective of them making a, a ruling on it, they ensured that they had people going and communicating that to the various uh, churches so that they would know and wouldn't trip them up. Differences of, of opinion, uh, we see that in the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, competition over resources, Lot and Abraham's, uh, their, their people were fighting over the little bit of land that they had, and that led to some pretty tragic things, but it is an example of some conflict. And then just sinful attitudes and desires, where James asked the question, where do wars and fights come from among you? They come from our desires for pleasure that war within us and create great conflict. In Nehemiah's situation, he had a conflict with those who were crying out. And it's important to uh, consider what was on his plate. It'd be very easy for him to say, I don't have time for this. Uh, we have enemies over here. We got a wall to build. We got all these things going on. Can you just not make an issue right now? Can you just simply live with it? You made your choices. You got your situation. Let's just move on. There's more important things to care for. Yet Nehemiah doesn't do that. He wants to... Uh, I, uh, to determine what is going on. But, and one of the first things that we do uh, when we uh, uh, realize that there's a problem is to look at some of the issues. 
Uh, let's just review. What were the people going through at that time? Not only did they have uh, 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 th this battle going on with those outside the wall, the, the responsibility of the wall, but also there was a famine, there were taxes taking place, all these various things. And this is how, what they cried out. Uh, Nehemiah takes the time to quote different individuals. He had sound bites, if you would, of those that were in this conflict where they felt they were not being cared for properly. Uh, some had no food. Some had mortgaged their land and houses in order to, uh, uh, to get uh, food because of a famine. Some borrowed money to pay taxes on land. Children were forced into slavery, and they cannot be bought back now because they don't have any uh, equity or any way to purchase them back. They were in a sad, sad situation. Uh, when we look at uh, basically issues, uh, there is a diagram I like to use when I'm working with people, whether they're in a uh, conflict that's based on material issues or whether they're dealing with a conflict that is based on personal issues. There is that issue, and the issue typically is stated as a question. And the issue in this particular case would be, what should be done with those who are in debt to the debtors? Uh, so that there is, and there would be two different positions. The one position would be, they owe us the money, and so they should pay us back the money. And the other position might be, this is unfair. We have been, someone has been opportunistic and taken advantage of us in this particular situation. We should not pay. And then underneath there, you go from issue to positions and then to actual interests. We are typically guilty of determining what other people's interests are. We like to connect dots and say because of this, this, and this, then that is why they did what they did, or that's what their interests, that's their motivation. But the God calls us to be more concerned about finding out from the people what their interests were. And I think that's one of the things that uh, Nehemiah did. He had these, like I said, sound bites where he understood where these people were coming from. But let's just look in a little bit uh, of, of how those who were in debt, what were they looking at as their interests? They were looking at their circumstances. Their circumstances were, were difficult. They had enemies as well as those who had. Uh, they, they had some great loss. They felt there was an unfair interest, and they had no hope. And you look at the, the folks that, that ha are the lenders, they might have had their own interests. They might be saying, well, it was your choice. You didn't have to borrow the money from us. You could have gone somewhere else to get your money. Uh, this is all God's doing. You know, it's just the way things happen. God is sovereign, and it happened to turn out that way. Uh, they might be the emphasis, you need to budget for something like this. You didn't budget, and, and so as a result, it's your problem. You need to be more careful. And by the way, this is our money. We worked hard for it, and it is ours, and it is right for us to keep it and to demand it. So you have some interests that are on both sides. And Nehemiah was stuck trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. Now, in Nehemiah's time, he was kind of the arbitrator and judge of the situation. I find that in my ministry, I'm typically not coming in in that type of situation. I come in more as a mediator that allows people to look at the interests of each other, and they are the ones that settle what the uh, uh, solution should be. 
But in Nehemiah's time, uh, they did things a little bit different. And uh, he is going to now, uh, after assessing the problem, he's going to address the problem. Let's just look, see what he did. He did this. He said, and I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. Here you have uh, him analyzing and coming up to what the problem is, and he addresses it with them. I want to highlight this statement that he put serious thought to something. He took serious thought because he knew what was happening impacted some things. Now, it wasn't just an issue between the people of Jerusalem. This was impacting how God is seen and how the people outside of Jerusalem would see, see God and how they would react. So it's about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Look what he says here. Ought you not to walk in fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Nehemiah was so concerned about the fact that it wasn't just about what's going on inside here. It's this is going to spill out and is going to impact what other people think about God. Jesus said it this way. By this they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. The situation in Nehemiah's time was not a loving situation. It was a situation that was based by man's law by man's law rather than God's grace. And that is so typical when we operate outside of God's grace, we will go to what we think is right, what we deserve, rather than focusing on what is God's glory and how does this impact the world around us. So he says you ought to be concerned about these types of things. First place you could go to is ask this question. What does the Bible say? If you look through Deuteronomy, which was really the giving of the law, designed to help the people of Israel to interact not only with God, but with one another. And in that situation, uh, in, in, in that context, it gives us information for the various situations they might come up with. I've picked out just a few of the verses, and we won't go into in-depth on them, but you can take the time to study them yourself. But here in each of the situations, whether God is talking about the importance of feeding the poor or releasing debts or giving to the poor or avoiding charging interest or treating the debtors mercifully, the, uh, the point is that in each of those cases, when God is doing this, he's letting them know it's, it's about a relationship that we have with him. It's not just this relationship, that if I am nice to these people, then they'll like me. No, it's about God and how God sees the situation. And this is what God says. If you treat those who are in need of mercy, God does this, that the Lord your God may bless you. And uh, for the Lord your God will bless you. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you. That the Lord your God will bless you. It shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. Look at that. In each of those cases where, where God is giving them the law, but the point of the law is to have a right relationship with God and, and to, to show that you truly lean on him. 
so often, we go back to James chapter 4, the reason that we are fighting with other people is because we don't ask. Or if we do ask, we ask amiss. We have not made it our habit to trust God to be the one who provides for us. As a result, uh, we are not being a good testimony to other people. So here we have Nehemiah reminding them that we ought to walk in the fear of our God. Be more concerned about how he sees us than we are concerned about getting the material things that are our right. And then the next question is, what am I doing? If I'm going to address someone about a problem, I not only need to see what is the biblical background or what are the principles, I also need to look at what I'm doing. Nehemiah said this. uh, Well, actually, uh, before he said that, I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus encouraged us to first take the log out of our own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I like this passage in that, first of all, it shows me my responsibility but also gives me hope that I could be instrumental in helping someone else with an issue in their life. Nehemiah says it this way, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Later on in the passage I've not yet read, he talks about the variety of things that he's trying to do to help be a solution to the needs of these people. I believe Nehemiah, before even addressing those who were Uh, charging the high interest and putting pressure on those in need had assessed the situation for what is he contributing to this? How is he helping out? Is he being consistent? It's one thing to expect something from somebody else, but am I willing to also see the need and be a part of the solution? A third item is to consider what is my attitude? Uh, we, we see this in Galatians uh, as the, uh, Paul was talking to the, those who were reading his epistle about how do you deal with someone who, who needs to have some sin in their life addressed. And he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him because you're the right person because you're perfect and because you are the one that can really put them in their place. No, he doesn't say that. You who are a spirit, Joel, should restore him because you should have a spirit of gentleness. And you should be careful in how you do this. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. This comes from an attitude of mercy and gentleness and a recognition that we all are servants of a holy God and all of us, aside from the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy of Jesus Christ, fall short of the glory of God. And Paul is exhorting us, if we are going to be used as an instrument of God to help someone get a speck out of their eye, we should first look at what we're doing in our life. How are we removing the log from our own eye? And second of all, do I have the right attitude to come with gentleness, to come with patience, and to come with a desire to show mercy to the other person? And then fourthly, what is my goal? What do I really want to accomplish? Matthew chapter 18, 15 gives us the instruction on what do we do when we have a conflict with another person? They've sinned against us. Our 
temptation might be is to rally around us other people that might be also thinking the same way. But Jesus said this way, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That the first place you go is to get together with the person that has offended you and talk with them. That there is a great benefit to that because if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If you go and talk to several other people and you gang up on your brother that way, typically you don't gain your brother. You might be able to prove your point. You might be able to have witnesses and you might be able to uh, have a lot of pressure that might make someone change their behavior, but you have not gained that relationship. So my goal should be, if I need to go and address someone about an issue of sin in their life or a way in which they might have offended me, I need to have not only a good biblical background on it, uh, an understanding of what I might contribute in the situation, and the right attitude of gentleness and mercy, but also that I might go to them for the sake of not proving myself right, but making our relationship right so that we can serve God together. As believers, we are called to make disciples. We are called to show the world that we love one another. This passage is a critical part of that so that we can learn to work together rather than being tempted to work around each other because we have not reconciled issues in our relationship. The fourth item we want to look at is how that uh, the people of Jerusalem responded. How did those who really had the, uh, the, the hand over those poorer people, how did they respond to this? Nehemiah was quite blunt with them. Uh, I don't know if you could see the gentleness or anything in there, but my thought is that in that he took assessment of it and serious thought, he probably considered those types of things. But the point is they were, they were confronted with something that really required them to change their behavior. And uh, first of all, before you can change your behavior, you really need to change your heart and, and regard to what is going on. And I think that they were able to see that what they were doing was not compassionate. They were not loving their brother, and they could see from Scripture, if they went back to the Deuteronomy passage I shared earlier in our message, they would know that they're not pleasing God either because they're not showing the, uh, the, the, the fact that they love God and that they're trusting in God. They're trusting instead on their business savvy that has put their actually their family, uh, their friends, into a difficult situation. Here's what they did, though. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. Now, let me explain a, a little bit of what I see here. I see that in the process of change, there was a commitment uh, we call it, when we're working through a conflict, as a, a, an agreement. Sometimes that agreement needs to be in writing. Sometimes it needs to be proclaimed publicly. In this particular situation, it needed to be proclaimed publicly because the situation was public. 
People knew what was going on with the, between the lenders and the borrowers and, and the situation. And so it became very public, and that's why Nehemiah brought it to that situation, so that those who saw that would be able to see the change of heart from those who had been giving that uh, uh, intense interest and in bringing people into, really, slavery to them. And so this was important in that it was a show to others. When we talk about the importance of a good apology, the first element of that, we have seven elements that we talk about, we call them the seven A's of a confession. The first A is to include all that are involved. Now, the important thing is to try to keep this as narrow as possible. That's why Matthew 18, 15 says, go to the person individually and try to work it from that perspective. But there are some times, and this is a case with Nehemiah, where it was very public and it required a public agreement so other people would be informed, could see the grace of God, could see the change of hearts, and uh, they could also help hold them accountable to what they said they would do. Uh, Nehemiah had had given them uh, this kind of uh, encouragement. So may he be shaken out and emptied, uh, as he talked about, uh, he used a, an object lesson for them. He called the priests together, and he shook out his hem uh, as a visual for them to see what this commitment was all about. And he said that they might be emptied in the same fashion if they did not keep their commitment. Now, when we truly repent and want to change, we too want to be held accountable to that change. Now, typically we don't shake out a hymn and we don't uh, uh, have that kind of a, uh, of a comment or statement, but we should desire to change. Change because God has convicted our heart that that which we are doing is not pleasing to him. So when we repent, we're willing to to uh, not only make a verbal recognition to the people that we're repenting to, but we're making a commitment that we want to continue to avoid these things. The people of Jerusalem said we're not going to charge them and we're going to give them back money and we're going to help them, and all that was part of their, their agreement. The, the last thing I want to look at is really what Nehemiah was doing. This is the latter part of the chapter, and I won't read all of it, but I've highlighted a few of the verses. Nehemiah shares what, what he was doing about this because it was all about is God being glorified and are we showing mercy to other people. And so he was consistent. It wasn't just that he decided to listen to the outcry of the people and then hone in on those who are causing the problem and then uh, confront them about it and make them change. Nehemiah was consistent in that he had already seen the problem and he was already doing things. He knew that the financial situation was stressed and he knew that he had rights as a governor that he should receive pay like other governors had. And he knew that uh, there were those who needed to be cared for and that would be further strain on them. But here's what he did. He said he didn't do, first of all, the same thing the former governors did. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. It wasn't because of the fear of people. 
It wasn't that he was some generous soul. He knew that God would be glorified by not taking advantage of the situation. Now, it was due him to be paid, but he chose not to because he knew it would meet a great need in that situation. He wanted to glorify God. Look what it says. Uh, he says this afterwards. He said, I also persevered in the work on the wall. He wanted to remind them, I, kept a, I didn't take pay, but I worked diligently. And there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Yet, for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Again, a love for God. I wanted to glorify God. I had a fear of God. I wanted to respect God. I wanted God's name to be lifted up. And also, uh, just good awareness that there was a need there. And it wouldn't make any sense for him to pile on more uh, uh, need by, uh, by, by not taking care of that situation. So as we, as we conclude our time together, and maybe you're dealing with a conflict. Maybe there's something that's really bothering you and you want to get a uh, resolution with it. Uh, I want to encourage you that uh, people are watching us as believers as we navigate these things, whether it's a family crisis that we're working through in conflict, uh, whether it's how you're behaving in your neighborhood or at work, or even how we behave here as a body. People are watching what we're doing. And I guess the question is, what is said of us in the times of conflict? Will they uh, be looking at us when we are fighting over the material issues? When in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Paul is confronting the people of Corinth because they were taking one another to court. And instead of getting what is due you, Paul says, why can't you just be wronged? And what does it mean when we are so determined to get what is owed to us? Could it mean to others that our Father lacks generosity? That our Father is not uh, able to take care of us? And then second of all, on the personal issues, when we're having a hard time forgiving someone, when we feel offended with someone, we can't look at them without uh, having a certain feeling or, or thinking certain thoughts. I tend to call that a grid, that we interpret a person's actions and attitudes through that grid. And does that display that uh, our Father lacks mercy? The reason that we can forgive others is because we've been forgiven. How often do we forget that? I think of that passage in Matthew 18 when that servant had been forgiven of all that money he could never repay. He walked straight from a throne room where his full debt was paid and went out and found another servant to have him pay something. He forgot the mercy he had received and was not able or not willing to give that same kind of mercy to someone else. Do we get that far from the throne room of mercy? Do, do we fail to understand on a daily basis it's by the grace of God and the mercy of God that we can get up uh, in the morning and, and do what we do and to have what we have? I think the worst thing we can do is forget about the gospel. Forget that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that we could never 
pay that back. That poor servant in Matthew 18 said, give me more time and I'll repay. I don't think he ever understood the debt he had. May we not be guilty of that. May we always recognize that we are in such a debt because of our sin that only Jesus can pay for it. And it's his gospel that sets us free. Let us consider that when we are finding ourselves in times of conflict. To remember that whatever things that we have that we feel someone is keeping from us or that we deserve, let's remember they all belong to the Father. All things were made by him and for him and we're just stewards of it. And let us also remember that we have the capacity to forgive because we have been forgiven. Father, as we think about what's going to be said of us, are people going to say that we're always fighting for our rights? Are people going to say that we are always wanting to be right? Are people going to say that we're angry and we're unforgiving? Or are they going to say, these are people that have a God that provides. These are people that have a God that forgives. Lord, help us to be faithful and consistent in this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.